young at heart, open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 10. Do you believe that Jesus is God? Then you are blessed because he is, whether you believe it or not. The Bible's not true because we believe it. The Bible is true, period. And we better believe it. Matthew chapter 10, I'm going to read to you verses 32 through 39, and we're talking about fearless living. So we read the verses preceding this last week. Actually, I'm going to start reading in... I'm going to start reading in verse 30, if you don't mind. I'm going to read down to verse 39. Verse 30, but the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Do not fear, therefore. You are of more values than many sparrows. Remember, Jesus said, even if one sparrow falls to the ground, it does not fall to the ground apart from my Father's will. So Jesus is telling his disciples as he's sending them out to go proclaim the gospel of the kingdom. Do not fear. Therefore, you are more valuable than many sparrows. Verse 32, therefore, whoever confesses me before men, him I will also confess before my father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, him I will also deny before my father who is in heaven. Do not think that I came to bring peace on earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to set a man against his father, and a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a man's enemies will be those of his own household. He who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And he who does not take his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me. He who finds his life will lose it. And he who loses his life for my sake will find it. Father, we ask that you would, by the power of your spirit, open our hearts and minds to this gospel. Lord, touch our hearts change us and transform us, conform us to the very image of the Son of God. Do this, Father, for our good and for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Therefore, whoever confesses me before men, him I will also confess before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, him I will also deny before my Father who is in heaven. We should conclude from this verse that those who confess Jesus before men will run the risk of being rejected, reviled, and even persecuted. Or in America, at the very least, we run the risk of becoming unpopular. But we are not to fear those who have power not only to kill our reputations, but to kill our bodies. And Jesus, when he begins this discourse here in verse 32, he begins it with, therefore, whoever confesses me. 
he's referring back to his command in verse 31, do not fear. Therefore, whoever confesses me, and what Jesus is implying and what he's telling us is that when we confess him before men, there is going to be this reality that men will reject us. Jesus told his disciples, when you go and you preach the gospel of the kingdom and they arrest you and they bring you before magistrates and they kill you, just know that you're not being persecuted because of you, you're being persecuted because of me. And so when we declare the gospel of the kingdom and we confess Jesus before men and men reject us, we have a tendency to want to take that personal. But Jesus is very clear and he says, don't take that personal because the rejection is not because of you. The rejection is because of me. Now that doesn't mean that we can't present the gospel of the kingdom in a way that men can reject us. And we're going to talk about that as we go through these verses here today. But this is, this is something that we need to be aware of. If the fear of man becomes so great as to tempt us to deny Jesus, he has given us this warning that if we deny him, he will also deny us. And the command to fear not comes with this command, this unspoken command to wilt not. We should not wilt under the pressure that the world brings to bear against us when we stand in the truth. And when you stand in the truth, there will be a pressure that the world will bring against you because the world is fundamentally opposed to the truth because the world is not rooted and grounded in the truth. The world system, our sinful nature, the lust of our flesh, the desire of our flesh, those things are not rooted and grounded in the truth. They're rooted and grounded in a deception in the lie. This world, not the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is in this world. It's filling this world. But the world that is opposed to God's kingdom, that world is built upon a lie. And so as we go forth as his ambassadors of the kingdom... As his children, as we go forth declaring the gospel of the kingdom, we are declaring a message that is fundamentally opposed to the lie that the world lives under and believes. And this is why men who are not of the truth oppose that truth. It's why you will experience rejection. It's why you will experience persecution. It's why you will become unpopular if you take certain stands on certain issues. Now, human nature, our tendency is to want to try to please people. And, and we do that in, in an effort to please people. What ends up happening is we compromise the truth. And in order to compromise the truth, we first have to compromise something within ourselves. And we end up deceiving ourselves oftentimes in a way that that justifies our compromise. So compromise and denial are subtleties that lead to full-fledged rejection of the truth. And the road that is 
usually pay. That road of, of outright rejection of the truth is usually a road that's paved with excuses that attempt to justify such compromise. And Christ has warned his disciples to stand against the temptation of compromise that will ultimately lead to denial. That is our denial of him and his denial of us. To confess Jesus before men is to express not what's in your head, but what is in your heart. I believe a picture that Jesus presents for us of this very thing is found in this familiar verse of Matthew chapter 7 verses 21 through 23 when he says that there will come those in that, in that day in, of the judgment, there will be those that will come to him and say, Lord, Lord, did we not cast out demons in your name? Did we not perform great miracles in your name? Did we not prophesy in your name? And Jesus utters these words, and he said, I will say to them, depart from me, you workers of lawlessness, for I do not know you. And I believe this is a perfect picture of people who who know Jesus in their head, who think they know Jesus, but there has never been something transpire in their heart. And for many people, Jesus is someone that they will add to their collection of things that they deem necessary. So it's said that when you go to India and preach the gospel, it's not getting people to accept Jesus. It's getting people to accept Jesus to the exclusion of all their other gods. Because in India, you, the, the belief is you have as many gods as you can. Because the more gods you have to worship, the more gods you have working for your good. And so Jesus just becomes another god for them to accept and worship that they can add to their collection of gods. But that's not the gospel. Jesus is not just someone we add to our collection. Jesus is not our lucky charm we carry around in our pocket with us in cases of emergency. And we call upon his name when we're in need. No, Jesus is our Lord. He is our master. We belong to him. We've been purchased by his very life and by his very blood. Jesus is not who we have. Jesus must be the one who has us. So when those people come to Jesus in that day, say, look what we did for you, Jesus. They may have in their mind had Jesus, but the problem was Jesus never had them. So Jesus is not just someone we add to our collection of things necessary for life. Jesus isn't just a life hack, okay? Jesus is Lord. And so to confess Jesus before men is to express what is in your heart. Romans 10 verses 9 and 10, Paul writes this, that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Now, Paul is not giving us a formula here. First step, second step. This isn't a formula. This is a statement of fact. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made to salvation. Matthew 12, 34, Jesus utters these words. For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth 
speaks. When Paul says, if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, Paul is saying, confess from your mouth what's in your heart. And what's in our heart is the confession that should come out of our mouth. This is more than just a formula to get saved. So if I confess and I believe, if I got both of my bases covered there, then I'm saved, right? Maybe. The question is, are you confessing Jesus from your head? Are you confessing him from your heart? Are you confessing him because faith resides in your heart? Are you confessing him because, well, you know, just to cover all my bases, I better get Jesus as an insurance policy. Do you see the difference? Jesus is not your insurance policy. Jesus is your savior. Jesus is your life. You belong to Jesus. You have no hope outside of Jesus. Jesus is not just someone that you take with you. You have been crucified with Christ and you have no life apart from Jesus. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And given enough time, not only will our mouth, but our life will reveal what is truly in our heart. Nowhere are we commanded to keep our confession of Jesus to ourselves. We are commanded to confess him before men and make known the witness of faith in our heart through our words and through our deeds. There's a lot of talk these days about your personal faith in God and that we are to keep our faith in God to ourselves. That's for the church house on Sunday, not the workhouse on Monday. But that's not what Jesus said. Jesus said, go into all the earth and preach the gospel to every creature. He didn't say just do it on Sunday. He said do it every day. It is what must permeate and consume our life. Now, I'm not telling you to go and be obnoxious on Monday morning at work. That's not the point. What I'm telling you is go to work on Monday morning. Wake up on Monday morning and let Christ in you define your life. Let it define how you interact with the people you have to interact with, good or bad. Whether you interact with them willingly or whether you have to interact with them. Whether you love to interact with them or whether you despise having to interact with them. A lot of that is going to be determined by how you, how you approach people based on your understanding of the gospel and Christ in you. Do you see those people through the eyes of Jesus? Or do you just see the annoyance or the friction or the inconvenience that they are to your life? Do you see them through the eyes of Jesus? Do you pray for them? Do you give witness through your actions, not just through your words? Sometimes the most important thing you can do is not what you can say, but what, what you model for them. And then when you do declare him, when you do make him known, when you do speak, then there is actually something there that is substantial so that they don't just believe all Christians are just a bunch of hypocrites. We're never to keep our personal faith personal. Our personal faith is a public faith with the public witness through the entirety of our life, which is worship. 
Our life is worship. What is in our heart is what will come out of our life. It's either the fruit of the Spirit or it's the works of the flesh. If we have received new hearts in Christ, then it is the fruit of the Spirit that will ultimately prevail. Therefore, our confession and our walk are to give witness to our faith, to His grace, and to His glory. So to confess Jesus before men is to confess what is in our heart. To deny Jesus is to give place to fear which is rooted in unbelief. We overcome fear by coming to comprehend the perfect and complete love that God has for us in Christ. The Apostle Paul addresses this temptation to lose heart and become fearful in the midst of trials and tribulations in his prayer that's recorded for us in his letter to the church at Ephesus. In the book of Ephesians, in Ephesians chapter 3, verses 14 through 19, Paul prays this prayer. He says, For this reason I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with might through his spirit, in the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and length and depth and height to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. That was Paul's prayer for the church. That wasn't just Paul's prayer for the church at Ephesus. That was Paul's prayer for the believers. That means that was Paul's prayer for us. John gives us this strong encouragement in 1 John chapter 4, verses 17 through 19. When John writes, love has been perfected among us in this, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment, because as he is, so are we in this world. And there is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear, because fear involves torment. But he who fears has not been made perfect in love. We love him because he first loved us. God first loved us. The Bible is clear in that. Jesus said to his disciples, you didn't choose me. I chose you. God first loved us. Our love for God originates in him. He pours his love into your heart through a new birth into a new creation so that you can love him and so also love one another. His love for us is complete and it is that perfectly complete love that God has given to us in Christ that will cast out all fear from our life. The remedy for fear is love. And out of love, out of God's love, comes faith. God, out of his love, 
gave to you the gift of faith to trust him. So it is the revelation of his love for us in Christ by his spirit that will cast out all fear and ground us in love through faith. And we are rooted and grounded in love and we are strengthened to stand by faith in the power of his might. That's what Paul writes in Ephesians 6.10. And fear and unbelief are overcome and cast out by love and faith. It is the love of God given to us by grace through the finished work of Christ that gives us confidence to stand now and in the day of judgment. And we can with all boldness and confidence confess him before men and know that he will never leave us. He will never forsake us. Therefore, we have no reason to fear. The writer of Hebrews says this, So we may boldly say, The Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? Therefore, we are to fearlessly go and tell others the good news of Jesus Christ. In verse 34, Jesus says this, Do not think that I came to bring peace on earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. Now, this is really a controversial scripture for a lot of people. This is a scripture that a lot of people don't even know is in the Bible. It's a scripture that a lot of people don't even read, don't want to think about, because it goes against the grain of, of the picture of Jesus that the world has painted for us. Not the picture of Jesus that the scripture presents for us. The world has a Jesus that they worship that is not the Jesus that is revealed to us in the scripture. You might think Jesus is opposed to Islam. Do you know that Jesus is a major figure in Islam? Do you know that Islam teaches that it is Jesus that is going to come back and judge the world? and reap judgment and wrath upon the infidels of the world? Yes. Most Christians don't even know that. They think Islam doesn't even accept Jesus. No, Islam doesn't accept Christianity. They accept Jesus. They don't accept Christianity. They accept Jesus. They don't accept the Jesus of the Bible. Mormons accept Jesus. They don't accept the Jesus of the Bible. Jehovah's Witness accept Jesus. They do not accept the Jesus of the Bible. Hindus accept Jesus. They do not accept the Jesus of the Bible. The world doesn't have a problem with Jesus. They have a problem with the Jesus of the Bible. And the world has created their own version of Jesus who's more like a hippie flower child walking around saying peace and love to everybody and saying everything goes, don't worry. That's not the Jesus of the Bible. So it's very important for us, church, to understand who the Jesus of the Bible is. And the Jesus of the Scripture uttered these words 
printed in red in your Bible. Do not think that I came to bring peace on earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. Now, is Jesus contradicting what the angel said? Remember what the angels say. Peace on earth, goodwill toward men. Hey, Jesus, don't you know what the angel said about you at your birth? Oh, yeah, he knows. So, there seems to be a contradiction here. No, there is not. There is not. Jesus knew that declaring and living the message of the gospel would bring a separation between those who are with him and those who are against him. See, the problem is not Jesus. The problem is us. It's like the law. There's not a problem with the law. There's a problem with us. It's not that the law is deficient. It's that we're deficient. The problem is not with Jesus. The problem is with us. If we were all for Jesus, it'd be great. The problem is we're all against Jesus. That's the condition we're born into in our natural birth. We're born hostile enemies of Jesus until we are born again. That's why you and I have to be born again. Because until we're born again, we are the hostile enemies of God. We are against Jesus. Jesus warns us that the gospel will bring this separation. And the body of Christ is called to be one. And that unity of oneness is to be centered in Christ. So here's what Jesus said in, in Matthew chapter 12, verse 30. He who is not with me is against me, and he who does not gather with me scatters abroad. So in that very statement, Jesus draws a line of separation between those who are with him and those who are not with him. Those who will gather with him and those who will scatter abroad. Jesus makes a distinction. And this is what the gospel does. The gospel brings that separation. The gospel reveals who is with Jesus and who is against Jesus. Now, if we preach another gospel, if we don't preach the gospel, if we preach the Jesus that the world wants to worship, then we don't have a problem. But when we preach the Jesus of the Bible, we've got a problem. Because the Jesus of the Bible brings a clear distinction. You're either with me or you're against me. You're either gathering with me or you're scattering abroad. And this is what Jesus meant when he declared, I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. The gospel that saves us is the same gospel that will separate us unto Jesus. In Matthew verses, chapter 10 and verses 35 through 37, let's read those again. Matthew chapter 10, verse 35. And then Jesus goes on and he says, don't remember, he says, don't think that I came to bring peace on earth, but I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to set a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law, and a man's enemies will be those of his own household. He who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me, and he who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Those are hard words. 
Those are tough words. Jesus is not contradicting the fifth commandment. You know what the fifth commandment is? Here you go. Honor your father and your mother. It's the only commandment with promise. If you live your life honoring your father and mother, the Bible says God will bless you with long life on the earth. So you better listen up, kids. But yet Jesus says here that anyone that loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. He's not contradicting the commandment. In fact, he's affirming the greatest commandment, which is to love God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul, and with all your strength. Matthew twenty-two thirty-seven. There is no one and no thing that should take God's rightful place of being first in our heart and mind. Our life in its totality should demonstrate a love for God that is supreme over all other persons and all other things. The words of Jesus seem harsh, but the truth in them is designed to deliver us from the idolatry that we are prone to. Do you hear that, church? We are prone to idolatry. And these words are to deliver us from our idolatry. To paraphrase Jesus, the one who loves any other person, even father or mother, son or daughter, more than Jesus is not worthy of Jesus. He who does not take up his cross and follow after Jesus is not worthy of Jesus. Those are strong words conveying strong truth that demonstrates a strong deliverance from sin and death that Jesus brings to us by his grace. And this deliverance is possible not in the power of our flesh, not in the power of our will, but by the power of His Spirit as a work of His grace. In our humble submission to the Lord, He promises to pour out more abundance of grace. This is recorded for us in James chapter 4, verse 6 and 7, and 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 5 and 6, when, when James and Peter both write, God resists the proud, but He gives grace to the humble. We are not only commanded to go and tell of his goodness and to live for his glory, but we are by grace privileged to do so. We are privileged to confess Jesus before men. I hope you see it as such. Verse 38, and he who does not take his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me. He who finds his life will lose it, and he who loses his life for my sake will find it. Our victory is in the cross. The cross is not only the symbol of our victory, it is the instrument God has used to deliver us unto life and to defeat our enemies. Jesus commands us to take up our cross and follow him, for he knows that only in the cross will we know his victory and life. 1 John 3, 8, For this reason the Son of God was manifested, that he might destroy the works of the devil. And Jesus did just that in the cross. In his death, in his burial, in his resurrection, and in his ascension, he destroyed the works of the devil. Our life and our victory begin in the cross. And Jesus clearly calls us to die, to be crucified with him, that we may live in his life. 
For only the power of the cross can deliver us to victory in Christ. And only in the cross could our enemy be disarmed and defeated. And he is. And we need to remember that we are in a spiritual warfare. But our warfare is not against flesh and blood. So again, let's go to Paul's letter to the Ephesians Chapter 6, verse 12, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. So we need to understand this very important part about the warfare that we are engaged in. We win. Do you hear me, church? We win. Victory is not something Jesus is going to gain for us in the future. Victory is what he has already achieved for us. Listen to Paul's words recorded for us in Colossians chapter 2, verses 14 and 15. Having wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against us, which was contrary to us, and he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross, he has already disarmed, he has already disarmed principalities and powers. He made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them in it. So because of the finished work of Christ in the cross, because we have by grace through faith been crucified with him and raised with him, having become the righteousness of God in him, there is no longer, there no longer remains any accusation that can be brought against us by our adversary, the devil, who is called the accuser of the brethren. When the Bible says that Christ has disarmed our enemies, this is exactly what he's talking about. Satan is the accuser of the brethren. This is how Satan works. This is how he comes against you and he comes against me. He goes to God and he makes accusation. And if we are not in Christ, that accusation is absolutely valid. Because if we are not in Christ, we are still dead in our sin and we are still hostile enemies of God. But when we are born again, something miraculous happens. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17 says, The old is passed away. Behold, all things become new. We become new creations in Christ Jesus. And the accusations and the requirements that were against us have now been nailed to the cross in Christ. And the devil has been disarmed because there is no longer a charge that he can bring against us. Because that old man born in sin and death has been crucified, buried, and put away. He doesn't exist anymore. And now when he comes to bring an accusation against that old man, that old man is dead and buried and gone. And for those who are in Christ, the devil has nothing in us. He has nothing against us. In Christ, we can have full assurance and full confidence. And so we can boldly go and we can boldly proclaim the good news of his kingdom. So the cross takes away the accusation of the enemy and lifts high Christ in all of his glory. And the cross is the way that we lose our life so that we may find it. So we are always called to speak the truth in love. This is what Ephesians 4.15 
reveals to us. But we are never to bring accusation against one another. When we act as an accuser, we act in the manner of our enemy, and our words bring condemnation. When we speak the truth in love, we speak in the manner of Christ, and God's words will bring conviction. Accusation always comes from the point of view of self. What has been done to me, how I feel, and the offense that I have taken up. The I is very alive when it comes to accusation. The root of accusation is in self. Self-defense, self-justification, self-preservation, pride. Accusation brings condemnation. But when we speak the truth in love, it's not that it's less challenging for those who are hearing. It's actually more challenging. It, it's actually so powerful that it can change their dark, hard hearts. But it will always come from the point of view of Christ who is the personification of truth and love. Speaking the truth in love is ultimately about growing up in all things into Christ. It's about the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. The root is always in Christ. It's not in self. And it's always for the purpose of growth and maturity to build up the body in love. Speaking the truth in love brings restoration. It brings fruitfulness. It brings growth. And the way we avoid falling into accusation is by taking up our cross, by dying to self and looking unto Christ and His glory. To speak the truth in love, to walk the path of love and truth is to take up our cross. It's to die to self. It's to lose our lives so that the, the world and the offense of this world has nothing in us. Paul writes this in Galatians. He says, I've been crucified to the world and the world has been crucified to me. That is, the life of Christ has freed me from those things that, that I could take offense over. Now, I know saying that and living that are two different things. But for the child of God, this is where God wants us to come to. There's no one that's ever walked planet earth that had more reason to be offended than Jesus. And Jesus didn't defend himself and Jesus didn't justify himself and D Jesus didn't give all the reasons why he shouldn't be crucified and shouldn't be treated this way and shouldn't be talked about this way. Jesus didn't do that. Jesus lived his life he walked in truth and love, and he was a witness. And his witness of the Father, his witness of the kingdom was so bright that men had to literally kill him to do away with his witness. And we have the same opportunity. And this is why the Bible says that we are to speak the truth in love. This is why speaking the truth in love enables us to grow up into him in all things and give witness to his glory. If I've been crucified with Christ and it's no longer I who live, but Christ living in me, that's Galatians 2.20, then when I take up an offense or I become an accuser, I should repent and remind myself that I 
have been crucified. A dead man can offer no offense, and a dead man, I'm sorry, a dead man can offer no accusation, and a dead man can take up no offense. If you are dead, if you've been crucified in Christ, then there there should be no offense you can take up. If you are dead, if you've been crucified with Christ, if the eye's been crucified, there is no accusation for you to offer up. But if you have been crucified with Christ, if I have been crucified with Christ, and it's Christ who lives in me, now Christ in me becomes that witness. Christ in me and that life becomes the conviction of the world. And the world is convicted not because of my accusations against them. The world is convicted because of the witness that is in me who is Christ, the hope of glory. And as his love is manifest through us, as his truth is manifest through us, never fear the world will be convicted. And they may be convicted to the point that they will silence you and the desire to silence you could even take the form of your death. It's happening right now all over planet Earth. It's just not happening right now in America. But it's happening in the church. If Christ is living in you, then you can be assured that the rock of offense, who is your life, will bring men to conviction as his life in you is made manifest for all to see and all to know. And that manifestation of Christ in us will mark our separation from the world. If it does not, if our life is not marked by a difference who is Christ, then we must be willing to take up our cross, die to self, and follow Jesus into the fullness of joy that only his life can bring. We need to be willing to repent. And that's really what taking up our cross is about. When we take up our cross, we're saying, God, I'm turning my mind from this way to your way. God, I'm turning myself from this other way that's contrary to your way. Do not be deceived by the deception of this world. The fullness of life and the fullness of joy that is now available for us is found only in Christ and only in His cross. Because His cross is the door to His life. And in His life and in His presence is fullness of joy. The cross the gospel will bring a difference. It will bring a separation and we should not fear that separation. We should be courageous and bold and know that God will use that separation. God will use that difference for his glory. Amen. Amen.